I know you. I know you. You're the only serious person in the room, aren't you? The only one who understands, and you can prove it by the fact that you've never finished a single thing in your life. You're the only well-educated person because you never went to college, and you resent education. You resent social ease. You resent good manners. You resent success. You resent any kind of success. You resent God. You resent Christ. You resent $1,000 bills. You resent Christmas. By God, you resent happiness. You resent happiness itself because none of that is real. What is real then? Nothing's real. Nothing's real to you that isn't part of your own past. Real life, a swamp of failures, of social, sexual, financial, personal, spiritual failure. Real life, you poor bastard. You don't know what real life is. You've never been near it. All you have is a thousand intellectual ideas about life. But life? Have you ever measured yourself against anything but your own lousy past? Have you ever faced anything outside of yourself? Life? You poor bastard. Hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. It's Friday night, November 18th, and this is our fourth installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club, the fall edition. This time I am joined by artists Dennis Cook and Alex Fulton, both of whom also serve on the Bizarro Always Record crew. We'll link to their pertinent information naturally in the show notes. The larger book group actually chose this book, but many of those backed out due to the challenging nature of this work. Let's clarify the difficulties of this book. One of the most misunderstood and misrepresented works of modern fiction. You may have heard, as I frequently have, that The Recognitions is like James Joyce or stands out as the American Ulysses. This could hardly be true. What it is, though, is that Gaddis tried his prolonged best to show the integrity of the intimate, the detail, the evils of superficiality, and the terrors of fatigue. And he did this in some 956 pages of very small print, some half million words in total. But the author summed it up in a single word. The novel is about forgery. The Recognitions, published in 1955, is American author William Gaddis's first novel. Jonathan Franzen dubbed it the Urtext of post-war fiction and the first great cultural critique, which even if Heller and Pynchon hadn't read it while composing Catch-22 and V, managed to anticipate the spirit of both. The Recognitions is a masterwork about art and forgery and the increasingly thin line between the counterfeit and the fake. Gaddis anticipates by almost half a century the crisis of reality that we currently face, where the real and the virtual are combining in alarming ways, and the sources of legitimacy and power are often obscure to us. How are you guys tonight? I'm good. Oh, yeah. Great introduction. Yeah, excellent. So now, Alex, maybe you're the one, this is your second time through? Um, or multiple sorta. times? No, it's more like my, uh, I don't know, half of a second time through. I, I have to admit I did not get all the way through the book this time, but I did read the book in its entirety of a couple years ago, and I've sort of been just uh, scroll, uh, skimming through it again and looking at various different parts of it to kind of refresh my memory. So in terms of details and stuff, 
I want to let you guys uh, bring out stuff that you really like, but it's something that it's a book that's like uh, glued to my soul, and uh, I will never forget it. So I'm really excited to talk about it. It's interesting. I think someone was mentioning it the same way they do Moby Dick, which is one that people often read multiple times, and that yeah. it kind of is something that grows with them. But is there how would you explain it to someone like you know by way of synopsis is there any way you can say i mean it, it, like in it, a nutshell well yeah is there a main character um well yes and no i mean there's a central character that sort of the whole thing kind of revolves around but it's an encyclopedic novel like you know like gravity's rainbow or infinite jest or there's probably over a hundred characters and um some of them are more important than others sometimes they come into the story and they're the main character and then they drop out for 600 pages and show up again at the end or so i don't know if there's a main character but wyatt mason yeah. is the kind of character that the whole thing hinges on and uh to kind of put it into plot terms, he is a painter. He's a very sensitive boy. He's he's like he's like the epitome. He's kind of like Joyce's Stephen Daedalus in the sense that he's the intellectual, uh, uh, <laughs> like I said, special sensitive boy who um, dealt with a life-threatening illness as a child and, uh, and was raised and, by an incredibly puritanic uh, aunt. Uh, what were you saying? Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, his mother died when he was... Yeah, and birth, I think. Was it in birth? I can't exactly remember. So I think what happened was his mother died... This is the thing that I realized later on, that there's a pretty good reader's uh, guide online. And um, the, the guy... Okay, so Wyatt's father is the the reverend... And mm-hmm. he and his wife are going to Spain on some trip, but she dies on the way. Yes. And then, of course, she dies, and there is a a person on board who is on the board of the ship who is like, he's basically pretending to be a doctor. Right. Yeah. Um, but he's a, in order to make his passage, but he's, I don't know what he is exactly. No, he's a, he's a forger. Forger, yep. Right. Oh, yeah, he, doesn't he forge coin? Like, but I think currency? he... Yes, exactly. And, um, yeah. So and then so he's called he you know he, doing his his duty and committing to his forgery, he attempts to uh, perform append, an appendectomy on Camilla, the wife of uh, the Reverend Guyan's, uh, the wife of Reverend Guyan, and of course he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, so she dies, and. Uh, yeah. So the whole novel begins with the death of uh, of Wyatt's mother, who, would, and the death is directly related to this, basically this farcical, this fraud, this committed commission of fraud. And but it's t- it's more tightly wound than that too, because I think the son of the guy that kills Wyatt's mother is one of these guys that end up at these crazy parties. Where oh, is that true? I didn't even know that. Yeah, I don't remember that part. Well, wow, that's I think Frank Sinistera is the guy, and I think maybe it was Chaby. Okay. Chaby Sinistera. Oh yeah. Oh duh. Oh my goodness. Dude. But so, and that's the thing. 
he spent a number of years writing this book, and so even though it kind of reads like it's maybe just stream of consciousness, it's definitely a, a tapestry. Oh, yeah. I think the comparison to Infinite Jest is, is really one that Alex and I have thought about, too, because the, even though there's a number, it really overlaps in terms of vocabulary. I mean, uh, there's so many wor- words that... Um, that uh both have but then also um in a in a letter by david foster wallace to don delillo he 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 asked him if one of his characters who was a cab driver was um also showed up in a different book of his and it just it parallels these um encyclopedic novels as alex described having interlaying characters that rise and fall as sort of this you know tornadic group of of and even people that just seem to to change their pop like i kept thinking of these group of sort of pseudo artist friends that just migrate from rome to paris to new york (laughs) to to la or whatever and uh yeah they just put on a different suit and like like um don um bill dow and just it's new, you know. Yeah, the, the, actually, when you mentioned that, the idea of different clothes, there were two parties that it seemed like there were, and they were juxtaposed near each other in the, in the text. But I forget it, it, it. You end up realizing it's the same kind of superficial conversation at both. It's just the context is completely different. And he does those so nicely, which is it. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's a number of voices popping in and up, uh, just crowd noise, basically. Right, and so it, it's, it would be a, a moment probably to admit that <laughs> <laughs> I there's there's not a chance I could read this book. And then one of the one of the things I realized when people talk about the difficulty of this book is it wasn't so difficult for Dennis and I because the difficulty is that part of reading the book is trying to figure out who is saying what because he doesn't the Gaddis doesn't attribute who's saying what you have to kind of figure out in the context in the in the language who who it is speaking but in the in the audio version the narrator gives each character their own voice and so you know who's speaking and you can follow the the interplay of these these woven conversations that we've been talking about. Yeah, and there's some epic voices for sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. So Don Feasley so, <laughs> Christ. It's like he always says that to begin any sentence. Christ. But then that was the thing. It's like these the the party action is just so it seems so crazy, but at this the other time it it feels so real, you yeah. know. Yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, I think the whole sort of project of these sort of encyclopedic novels, Infinite Jest, is to really kind of just accept the fact that reality is 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 a messy, uh, complicated uh, thing thing to behold, and these books just kind of capture that that blooming so-called blooming buzzing confusion where it just doesn't always make sense. And you have to, you have to piece together your own sense of it 
and what your own sense of it doesn't necessarily reflect the truth of it, but it is, you know, your own experience. So that's what I like about these kinds of experimental novels and in opposed to someone who like Jonathan Franzen, ironically enough, who I really can't stand, but his books and most mainstream kind of fiction is just sort of very, you know, whatever realism. It's just, this person said this and it meant that and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of a simplistic kind of one dimensional reality tunnel that you get. Whereas these books, they just kind of present reality in all of its complexity and make no apologies for it. And they sort of make, give the highest estimation of the reader because the reader is expected to really bring your a game and really forces you to pay attention and uh take it you know take it slow i was actually reading some background on this and the idea that so early on it was confused as somehow they mixed it up with the idea of ulysses but Gaddis claimed that he had never read never Ulysses by the yeah. time. But I, I think it, it was believe, just, but... no. So, like, I think, you know, the difference is that this is actually, the language itself is not challenging, even though it's a very challenging book. Right. The uh, the syntax can be difficult, but it's not impossible. It's not, it's not, it's, I mean, Ulysses is more difficult. Right, sure. right. It's fairly straightforward in how it's written. Um, it's just a lot. Hey, Alex, this is kind of off the wall, but I, I really wanted to ask you if you thought, um, I know you recently saw the movie Arrival, and if um, yeah. I just w- saw it yesterday night, and the thing that struck me is that when uh, an author constructs a book that has so many spinning parts, it really reminded me of what is being discussed in that movie in terms of a timeless element. And I just feel like you've been on this whole bent that relates to Sean's work with the, the um, cryptocubrology. Like, do you draw any similarities between these two pieces or? Sure. Um, I think it's kind of like the idea that a book in itself or an artwork is kind of in Terrence McKenna terms is like a hyperdimensional object. Like it's something that's been, you know, the mind has captured out of whatever realm in the imagination that is sort of beyond time. And, uh, it just sort of plucks it out. And, uh, in engaging with such an object, it's sort of, it's, I think it's meant to, uh, kickstart, the reader's own imagination into sort of grasping these sort of universal tropes or elements in reality that are becoming more and more self-evident, such as the forgery fraud sort of Mm. idea. Um, Yeah. Which Doug, you had also brought up that the man in the high castle similarity, which I had thought a lot about as, as I was going along and just, yeah. Oh man. Um, Post World War II landscape as it relates to stealing artwork or and forging artwork. The Getty, um, the Getty conspiracy as it relates to faked 
or uh, forged items. Like you could imagine Rectal Brown as being on the board of directors at the Getty. Like uh, mm -hmm. now, but so let's continue with the plot a little bit to catch people up. So uh, our troubled boy Wyatt, he he uh, has an illness where he convalesces painting and he's got some skill and he starts copying the paintings in the house one, especially the seven deadly sins by Bosque. Oh God. Um, and the, but, the one of his mother as well. She never yeah. Finishes. And then he, but I think he still wants to go into the priesthood, but he ends up formally studying painting someplace and then uh, he puts together a body of work, and a critic says, "If you, you know, I'll give you a good review if you give me ten percent or something like that." Kind of showing the true nature of, you know, the world. And he's like, <laughs> he says, "The hell with this!" You're right. That is fucking so. Oh, oh man, that just I that really that mm -hmm. that that didn't surprise me in the least. Just the way. Uh, critics and artists uh, coalesce. Um, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah, but so then he ends up working as like a draftsman someplace where yeah, he's able bridges. Yeah. yeah, he's able to construct bridges based on his artistic symmetry because he studies like the Flemish composition or something. I mean, and so it's it's just so fascinating. But anyway, towards you know, he ends up connecting with with these kind of crooked art dealers who are manufacturing forgeries to put out into the world as, you know, authentic pieces of art, you know, new, newly discovered. Oh yeah. We should not, we should not gloss over the, that the guy who kind of starts this whole thing is an art dealer named rectal Brown, which is a very ridiculous Joycean type yeah. bathroom humor. Well, and he's operating in conjunction with this guy, Basil Valentine, who is like, he's got this Jesuit education. It's just, it's, oh man, you can, you can draw in a lot of directions in terms of what's being illustrated here. Um, yeah. What's fascinating to me as I was listening to this was a all the occult um, references. There's tons of various religious and different um, pagan type things mentioned all over the place. Fraser, the Golden Bough. And, but then also the, the idea of like the numinosity present in, you know, an authentic artwork. Mithraism is talked a lot about. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think his father ends up turning yeah. his New Eng England parsonage into a cult. <laughs> Temple. Yeah. Sun, yeah. Sun worship. Exchanged his son for the sun for the sun. <laughs> there was a couple scenes that just, you know, the way they were presented, they will never leave my head. The, uh, oh, I've forgotten the, the ape, the barber. Oh, yeah. Heracles. The poor little ape yeah. that he brings back from Spain. This is like yes. a, kind of almost like a, a memorable, it's like her, his, it's like his uh, memory of his wife, his dead wife, somehow. Farther and later in the text, there's this whole little monologue about the Barbary ape, the 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 meaning, the meaningfulness of it. I've forgotten what. It's really interesting though because it's so. When you get into this book, it, you know, this was a, a whole 
season of our lives for me. <laughs> yeah. To work. Th- and to it's not yeah. to be just the perfect companion to sort of uh, socio-political things, like because uh, even towards the end when it's talking about the feather and the bowling ball falling at the same <laughs> rate, uh, that that just made me uh, smile. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's one of these books where you get the feeling that Gaddis, the author, has basically read and in, uh, internalized every single, like everything, like he knows everything about you know, the history of religion and Gnosticism and chemistry and painting, art, the art rule, yeah. world, the true nature Extremely of the art world. But even even actual art making, actual art making, like the, right. the process. methodology process, yeah, he's no backwards yes. and forwards. That's incredible, yeah. And it is true that he's, he wrote the book over a number, I don't know, seven or eight, maybe even ten years, where he was basically traveling all over the world and uh uh just writing this book and so you get the sense that he's been everywhere and he's seen everything and he yeah like the golden bow is as you said before is referenced repeatedly and uh it, it uh, he just seems to have really tapped into uh certain aspects of reality that uh are apparently universal because I these things I think about today all the time, like the, the nature of real of forgery and what is real, and uh, he was seeing the same stuff in the you know the forties. So yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, it's funny how, for whatever reason, that's been the theme of the book club in general. This, you know, that what is real. So with the man in the high castle, there's these alternate you know it's these two different timelines but it feels like our reality is actually dropped into that weird fascist realm that we read about in that book mm-hmm. and then with uh when q84 it was you know another dystopian type you know this kind of playing on 1984 but like uh the characters enter into a different world well you know i is are we dropping into that fascist parallel line or is it just coming visible in a way that has been obscured since the post-World War II environment? Because it made me think a lot, I mean, we're talking about forgeries and fakes and it made me think about, uh, or I looked this up because I remember Joseph Farrell talking about it at one point. There's Operation Bernhardt was a forgery project as it related to the British pound. And I think they, he said there was up to 9 million notes that were printed. And in the late 50s, they actually had to reissue a currency, uh, certain bills because of how many were faked. And this was a – and it just – so, I mean, this isn't new. It's just been obscured through history. Absolutely. Well, that, it's funny because when we were doing the Man in the High Castle, I'm like, why are they doing this show now on Amazon? I don't understand why. Yeah. What is the – Well, well um, that – relates to Westworld. I don't know if you've been watching that oh. show, Doug. Ah, no. But, but oh it, it, again, it's like one of these things, like, why now? Well, uh, it's all of a piece, you know, th- this media environment that we're living in. And Westworld directly relates to the recognitions and William Gaddis in general, because in Westworld uh, is the con- is a repeated trope sort of used of the, the, the player piano, mm. um, which is the those pianos that, play themselves basically and that's something i'm pretty sure it's in the recognitions but it's 
in almost all of Gaddis's books, he finds a way to reference the player piano. And I think one of his projects that he never finished was an actual history of the player piano. And basically what, why it's kind of relevant is because it's like the piano plays itself by reading this basically this program, which is like a on a paper that's scrolled through the machine. And it's sort of, so it plays out this program that's like, it's already decided in advance. It seems almost, you know, spontaneous, but it's totally planned in a way. And so that's constantly in Westworld. And Westworld is all about uh, reality, the nature of reality and characters in, coming in to Westworld, realize that it's all fake. And in Westworld, they always, they, there's a, a um, repetition of saying of this program that has been installed in the, in the, um, the host people within the virtual reality that is, that, that are, that is called the revelries. And the, the repetition of this use of the word revelries really reminds me of the recognitions and how it's, how it's repeated over and over mm -hmm. again. And so, but yeah, there's, yeah, Westworld. <laughs> yeah, we should keep it on, uh, on the recognitions, but it does it's neat, like media. Well, so that unpacking that word is important because, I mean, so, so much of what the book is about is, you know, <laughs> it's uncovering truth. It's mm -hmm. the, the recognition, you know, the identification. Yeah. But that I think it comes from a, a Christian work by... Is that the, the Clementine re oh. recognition? Yeah. Yes, I'm not sure. Which would be important to to dig into. Yeah, there's a, on one of the websites there's a list of uh, every appearance of the word um, recognitions in the book, and there's a, a total 81 of them, which is, I'm trying to uh, kind of parse that number 81 it's nine times nine um oh, that's something else that you realize in uh in in the reader's guide is that, that it, there is definitely a a clear structure to the thing you know as far as even um i think in the in the first part so we mentioned the uh oh what is it the to Bosch. Oh, nine, nine, uh... Seven Deadly Sins? Yes, yes. I, maybe that is what it is. The t it's the table. And so I think... Yeah. Which is a fake. So, <laughs> or is it? What, I don't know if it you is. You don't... It's not. Well, so apparently... So his father brings the real table back from Spain, and then Wyatt copies mm. it and sells it to Rectal Brown... And then Basil Valentine yeah. replaces the real table with a copy. And then Wyatt said, look, it was a fake my whole childhood. You can see how uh -huh. ridiculous this is uh -huh. just a fake. It's even better. But it wasn't. It wasn't the one. You know, so that <laughs> it, it just subterfuge after, the you know. Fake, fake. And it, and it becomes, well, the other piece of, you know, media that is totally related to this is the film F for Fake. Uh, by Orson Welles, uh, which is it's it's a document it's a documentary, but it's also questionable how much of it is real. But it's about the basically the same thing. This character, I don't know, Dennis, you probably know more about this than me, but a character, this guy who was basically Wyatt. He was an art forger, 
and it's claimed that many of the artworks hanging in the greatest museums of the classics are actually fakes done by this guy. And, uh, or maybe not, maybe there's just a couple of them and there's just this legend that they're fake. So people, it's just constant calling in question of reality and what, and what is, what is real and what is, uh, what is authentic. But then it always turns on itself where Wyatt is looking back to this time of purity. You know, he, he kind of says, oh, this is the moment. And then, you know, I think somebody says, you know, it, at that time, they're looking back to this moment thinking this was the moment. I think Woody Allen has the movie. Midnight in Paris. Midnight in Paris, yeah, where that's the whole thing. It's like everyone's longing for this moment in, <laughs> in the past when things were – you know, we'll make America great again. If, you, <laughs> yeah. if we could just go back to that time. But at that time, there was the longing to go back to that moment that preceded it when everything was great. Yes. And then you go back to that time, literally, in the case of that movie, and realize that that's what everyone was thinking then as well. There's always this sense. Well, and then if you can go all the way back to, you know, the hunter-gatherer days and think that this was it, you know? <laughs> Before we had formal agriculture, you know, we worked a lot less. And uh... mm -hmm. um, hey, Alex, in in Arrival, her daughter is named Hannah, which is a palindrome. And then in um, the Recognitions, there is the character Otto, which is also a palindrome. And Otto is sort of this projected alternate of Wyatt, kind of a mm -hmm. comedic. Uh, which it's like crazy as an artist. Like I feel like I've worn all these suits. Like it's like yes, uh, yeah, yeah. And then yet another one of the characters is named Stanley, and he becomes yeah. Oh God, like, I can't believe. Yes. Yeah, and for me, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, Doug, but um, the name Stanley has become basically like my own version of Ubik, um, where the name Stanley just is just everywhere. I see it everywhere and it becomes, it's like a joke now. Like it's hard to Stanley and Stan. And so I had totally forgotten about that and about this character in the, in the book. And then I picked it up again and I realized, Holy shit, this movie ends or this book ends with the death of Stanley. Right. Stanley's the musician. Uh huh. But it seems like that is a direct reference to the work itself where uh, – so Stanley pulls out all the stops. He plays his – he spends this whole time composing this piece, and then he plays it, and he, the church collapses on himself and kills him. Yeah, he, he, compo he composes it specifically to be played on a certain uh, organ in a church, one of those huge pipe organs that is just this epic construction and he finally he travels the world down to I don't remember where somewhere in South America to to get to this church and play his his masterpiece and then he starts playing it and nobody has played the thing in forever apparently and the building collapses on top of him and that's how it ends. It's funny as a visual I imagined the Tim Hawkinson the artist Tim Hawkinson made this uh, crazy didgeridoo type thing that's the size of a room in uh, it was in the 
it was at Nagetti at one point, but it just imagined him playing that. But I didn't even remember, I didn't even know early on in the movie that Stanley was a musician because, but then at one point he had a fake piano, like a, like a made a practice piano or something like a, yeah. Yeah. But the interesting thing at the end though, is that the work, you know, Stanley died, the work was recovered and highly esteemed, but not played very rare very seldom. rarely played or seldom played yeah because it's like he's talking about his own book which was like yes. right read. people like exactly. to talk about it but no one really really exactly it. and i mean when i think of stanley i always think of stanley kubrick who is sort of sort of the ur kubrick or ur stanley he's sort of the stanley that this all comes from and and I, uh, not to make this turn this all into my own personal uh, agenda here, but uh, in terms of Kubrick, I try to put the parallels between Kubrick, his own life, and the life of this character Stanley. And I feel like it's kind of true. He, with Stanley Kubrick, he made Eyes Wide Shut, which many consider to be his masterpiece, and I think is. And he died before it. He finished it. He finally finished it and played it for his, for the, you know, executives, and then he died. And and it's true to me that everyone talks about Kubrick and admires Kubrick as the greatest filmmaker. But in my, I mean, to me, nobody has really, still not really, looked at what is has so you know as they so called seldom played, as in it's not truly understood. And uh, and that's sort of the way this trope continues to uh, 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 the can't think of the word sort of manifest uh, everywhere I look <laughs> apparently. Uh, well, I won't lie. This book drove me batty. <laughs> so like I complained a lot about one Q eight four, but this one was definitely worse. Where. <laughs> when I wasn't into it, man, I was not into it. Yeah. <laughs> it is let's it's a chore. It but then chore. I yeah. I'm on the other side of it, I'm very fond of it and I it it feels like one that you would want the depths the architecture that support the depths are there. So you know that there's meaning that it it would be there there are secrets that it will give or truths that you can find. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to to spend more time in those depths, yeah, and that's and I kind of I, this is my first time doing one of these book club things, so it's I'm used to talking about film, which is kind of it's so it's kind of probably worth talking about the differences between the two sort of mediums, and that a book is it's just so I talked to Znor about this a lot because he's 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 more of a, a literature person um, that it's sort of a density of consciousness that's being put into into a book as opposed to a film where a film can be you know re- watched in an hour two hours um whereas a book you know what how long do you think you would need to read this whole book probably a hundred hours at least i mean well so th- that's worth mentioning uh, i think the audio version my audio version was 48 hours mm-hmm. and that's with no just no oh, breaks, man, I think so. mine was 51 I thought mine well, was but longer but the most ridiculous thing was in the middle 
three of the chapters were duplicated. So it really wasn't. Oh, and I weird. thought. Oh, that totally tripped me out. I know. Okay. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. All but right. when I was. I, I, I don't, I don't think it was intentional because there's not duplicated text. Is there, Alex? Oh, no. Because I, I thought, like, I even had the idea before I could articulate what the heck was going on. Boy, that would be really uh, postmodern. That's the other uh, issue with, uh, you know, taking a book and experiencing it as, other, as another medium, such as a audiobook or an e-book or whatever. You don't know, sort of, because when I read it for the first time, at least part of the way, I read it on my iPad, and the copy that I had halfway through, all the paragraphs had been removed. So it was just this long oh, block man. of text, and I was like, "I was like, this doesn't seem right." And I finally had to like go dig into my boxes to pick, pull the actual book out, and read it from there. And so, yeah, that can that can pose a problem. It's, it's so it, I do feel like it's always best if you're reading a book to like get the book. Because, it, it, you know, the medium is the message, after all. And, but that's just sort of my own preference. Yeah. In this instance, though, that, that party went on forever. I'm like, <laughs> so it was that party that went through? That's so funny. And, and I could swear, it's like, man, I feel like I've read this before. I've heard these. Yeah, <laughs> like, I'm like... <laughs> It's, is my phone's memory loop. not working or something? Is it starting in the same spot? And it just felt like deja vu over and over again. Yeah, that's when I was definitely hating on the book, too. I was like, well, this will never end. And, but then I had that thought. I thought, wow, that would be so postmodern to like duplicate chapters in a book. Yeah, that would be obnoxiously postmodern. <laughs> but like in terms of... Like that was the thing that I thought the parties were doing was capturing the noise that like that post-war yeah, noise. Yeah. And part of it was media. Part of it was just the machinery. So as far as like the, the radio programs were ridiculous. Right. But there, you know, the news <laughs> and all the horrible news. That's another thing that's really interesting is this uh, towards the end, whatever, you know, the saint, this young girl who was raped, that they're going to canonize. Right. That somehow ties into to Camilla, I think, is buried next to her or something in San Zwingli in Spain. So it's like all tied together. You just don't it, it the way it comes at you is so noisy. You have no idea that that it makes sense. Yeah, Doug, I had to laugh. Your description of noise was something you had mentioned in an email. And then like I was having a sort of heated discussion with a friend the other day and they were like, Everything you say is just noise, <laughs> and uh, it just made me laugh Jeez. about your reference to noise. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty mean. Well, it wasn't that. It, did, it wasn't said as meanly as it maybe sounds, but right. Yeah, well, it's the noise, and it's the he does such an amazing job of capturing the just the superficiality of of most conversation and what people sound like. And it really kind of transports you back to that to that time and every this world where everyone is undergo is undergoing analysis, <laughs> yeah. as, as they say, because it's in vogue. And and isn't that party the part where it's this long, drawn out, nothing but dialogue thing, 
And what happens is that one of the guests has this little dog with them, and a somehow a kitten is it? I think it's a kitten. Oh, it might be a kitten, but some somehow at the end, by the end of the night, everyone is getting progressively drunker and drunker because everyone is just drinking like just it's going out of style. Um, somebody ends up sitting on the on the kitten and killing it, and it like becomes this. Everybody goes into hysterics. And I don't there, know. There is some awful details. things. Like I think one of the aftermath, part of the aftermath of the party is uh, there's this little girl that keeps coming to get like yes. tranquilizers yes. for, but for the mom, mom later. Yeah. And there's a baby crawling yeah. around. Like, <laughs> but yeah. later on, I think I just, the mom is dead. That yeah. someone goes yes. to the and yeah. the little girls there saying, "I'm trying to keep the flies off my mom." Oh God! Oh man! Yes. Uh, What's it like? There's something beautifully horrible oh, about the book. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's confusing because I thought Rose, Esther's sister, is Esther's sister named Rose the, the girl? I don't know. Uh, it's too. Well, it's too... I couldn't keep Esther and Esme straight. I know. <laughs> I know. I think that's probably the point, or one of the points. Yeah. Um, how you know Wyatt and Otto are these images of each other, and Esther and Esme and uh, Stanley and I don't know. I kind of get Stanley and Otto confused as well. And Anselm, Anselm, and yeah, Anselm and Stanley kind of have this thing. Oh, okay, yeah, that's, that's probably right. But yeah, yeah, all. Of them. Well, that was forty-two minutes, guys. Oh, is that it? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Whoa. Doug, I agree. I am kind of glad I'm done with this book. I loved it, but I'm like really, I need a break from it. Like, yeah. Dang. I'm used to our always record where we just talk forever and ever. Thank you so much for sharing it with us, Alex. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. I bet you've been listening to the 42 Minutes Fall Book Club, a production of SyncBook Radio and SyncBook.com. Be sure to check out my guest website, to which I'll link. For more information about the sync book, our guests, check out past shows, or subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at thesyncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a Sync Book Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access, a complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. And I think... Um, we'll we'll continue talking is what I'm gonna say, Alex, and then maybe okay. We'll, we there's a lot yeah, more here. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really happy to be done with this book too. <laughs> yeah, I just need a break from it. I need to, I need to. Yeah, I have you... crazy synchronicities that occur. To, 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 I mean, it's all like right, the we'll... book projected into my own awesome. world all the we'll time. Get into that. I think I should note. I think the next book is going to be a lot easier. We're going to read The Shining for the Winter Club. Good idea. And we'll talk about it after Christmas sometime. Thanks so much. And... Oh, that last part was on. I'm sorry. Thanks so much. And you're reading that? The friend asks, pointing to the book in the critic's hand. No, I'm just reviewing it, the critic responds. All I need is the jacket blurb to write the review. Sculpture at St. Martin's College, that's where I 
Yeah. 